bravest person? Who do you regard as a brave person and why? Someone you know personally, all right? So not a mythical person, not a superhero, not a person of history. Uh, someone you now know currently. Who would you describe as a brave person and why? Uh -huh. We're talking about fictional. You're not allowed fictional people, only allowed people who are definitively real that you have personally met. Uh, you have to personally know them. On a personal level. Comic Con doesn't count. Okay, so <laughs> who would you regard as the one of the bravest or one of the bravest people you know and why? What would you say? Barry? Mark Tillman. Mark because oh, yeah. Well, if you go down to Afghanistan and the Taliban, uh used to help people Okay, a Westerner and a very noticeable and and like really tall, noticeable chap, right? Going into Afghanistan at the time when Afghanistan was even more dangerous than it is now, right? I would say. Okay, very bright. I agree with that. He's a, I know it. Yeah. I have to say my wife Bronwyn. You have to say? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, watching her give birth to a son in our home two years ago. Um, with joy, actually, wow. was amazing to see. <laughs> That's it. Yes, all of us husbands were thinking the same thoughts. Yep. <laughs> so you, you've spoken for us all. So thank you for that. Excellent, thank you. Anybody else? Any other, you know, it's brave and why? Yes. Um, um, today, particularly, I think about my grandpa. He lived with us growing up. He spent two and a half years as a prisoner of war in World War II. Six months of which was underground in the mines, they actually didn't let them out. So um, and then he, they marched them from Brook where he was captured, he had to walk to somewhere in Poland. Um, and we know obviously not well there. The massive impact on my generation that he had and my father's generation and that stuff's doing that that we went through. But two and a half years of prisoner of war was quite extreme. Mm, yes, yes. Wow, and it's amazing to know people who had that experience. Shocking as it must have been. Brave people are people we admire. If you think about the people you admire most, there are reasons to admire lots of people for lots of reasons, but bravery, courage, is one of those qualities that we find it very easy to admire in people. We tend to admire brave people. However, that bravery is expressed. Lots of different ways to express it. Um, if this projector hadn't working, I was going to show you a, an old photograph of my great grandfather. My great grandfather, Jesse Harding, served in the First World War in submarines. Now, submarines at the best of times seem to me like a ridiculous thing. <laughs> Who would want to be in a submarine under any circumstances? But in the First World War, those things, those tin cans, my goodness, he was a he was a Royal Marine and he was serving in submarines. An extraordinary uh, thing. You mentioned your grandfather, and Penny's grandfather was also a prisoner of war. Um, he was captured in Hong Kong when it fell to the Japanese, and he was a prisoner of war for about four years, three years, four years. <sighs> Not going to go into all of that now. It was, it was, uh, had long-lasting consequences, as you said. Uh, he, once he got home, they thought he was dead actually, they didn't know he was alive for about four years. Um, and when he got back, he couldn't sleep in the same bed as his wife for the rest of their married lives. Because he would, he would do violence to her in his sleep, mm -hmm. otherwise. So the, the, that, this, you know, we, 
we are largely protected from the realities of what so many people have been through and are still going through. But we admire their courage. Penny, your, your grandfather raised a family. Penny's grandfather raised a family. And Penny is here as a result. And I'm, I'm grateful for all of those difficulties. That uh, bravery is amazing. And then there were others who suffered consequences. My own father was bombed out during the war. Um, for six months he had to go and live with family because the, the house they were living in was damaged by a, a mine that was parachuted down and didn't land in the sea but landed on the next street from where he lived. Um, he was bombed out and, uh, and my mother didn't see her father for months at a time because although he wasn't a soldier, he was too old to serve as a soldier in the Second World War but he was a customs officer and he got sent all around the country uh, posted for months at a time in Scotland and Liverpool and places. And, she didn't see her father growing up for several years. There are many consequences. We appreciate the bravery of these people. And I would say courage is a quality that should never be out of fashion. We always need courage and we always need brave people. In the political arena, wouldn't you be grateful if we seem to have more brave people involved in politics? Not just people who are, shall we say, overly fond of their own confidence. I don't mean confident people necessarily, but really brave people, able to make the difficult decisions to make our society better. We would be grateful for more courage in our own lives, perhaps we, if our, to, to adjust our own lifestyle, um, being a little healthier in our choices, or uh, making differences uh, in the way that we live in terms of the impact on the environment, uh, which mean compromises in the way that we have to live. Those, that requires bravery. Well, whether you decide to be vegan, uh, like Charles, who um, has um, an evangelistic campaign going on, it seems to me, with an, a, an array of statistics that he makes up to uh, try and convince us of the importance of going vegan. Uh, some of them might even be true. And, and you, you can ask him later for all of those. But, but go, I'm, and I'm going to say I mean this positively, like, if you decide that to help the environment and to bless God's planet you want to be vegan, if that's what you wanted to do, that's a brave choice because it means a significant change in lifestyle. And whatever your choices are in that area requires bravery. Um, in our families, raising children, whether they're young like yours or a little older, um, being a parent requires bravery. Sometimes you have to make decisions that you know are going to be very unpopular with your children, and you are going to be the most hated person in your household for quite some time. That takes bravery. Frankly, it takes bravery for some of our children also to endure them, us as parents, and I appreciate that as well. But we need bravery in the family. We need bravery in the workplace, when we are tempted to compromise ethics because of pressure put on us by a boss, and we might be afraid to lose our job or a bonus. <clears throat> bravery in the workplace, bravery in marriage. Uh, bravery for men in marriage mostly means being willing to talk um, and listen about something I've heard of called feelings. Um, <laughs> apparently they exist. Uh, and so bravery is required in marriage and bravery for wives as well. And there's, without bravery we don't get depth and we don't get strength in our relationships, do we? And on it goes. So my assertion is this, and we're going to look at a passage here in Luke 4. My assertion is that we require bravery, we need bravery, we admire bravery, but if we're going to grow in our bravery, which we all need to, we're going to need to learn from Jesus, because Jesus was the bravest person that ever lived. 
He was the most loving and he was the most compassionate and many other things, but he was also the most brave person that ever lived. And if we're going to learn anything about bravery, we need to take inspiration from him. In what ways do you think Jesus was brave in his life? Let me ask you this. If you think about Jesus' bravery and courage, what do you think, when you think of his life, the way he lived, what tells you that he was brave? So it's not just my idea. Do you think I'm right? In what ways was he a brave person? What would you say? He didn't mince his words. He didn't mince his words. He was direct when he needed to be. Yes, yeah. Stood up to the Jewish leaders. Stood up to the, the powerful leaders of the day. Yeah, he did. At great cost to himself. Yeah. He went right. to the cross. Went to the cross. Willingly went yeah. to the cross. It's one thing for it to be forced upon you without your control, but no, he willingly went to the cross. That requires greater bravery than being forced to go. Right? Anything else? Other aspects of his bravery? What do you think? Other examples? Barry? In consideration for others while he was under the pain, in pain on the cross. Right. In relation to his mother and others. His capacity for compassion despite the pain shows great bravery to think, to push through that. Yes, it does. Yeah, Sean. Don't quite think scripturally and others has explained, but Jesus' choice to come to earth. Right. Yeah. How he chose to come at a time when we were fatherless and sinners. Yeah, I would agree. The incarnation, what we're going to be thinking about at Christmas, the coming to earth, taking on flesh, takes great courage. He didn't, he didn't, you know, how are people going to react? What's it going to be like to put on flesh, which he's never experienced personally before, and suffer pain and sickness and tiredness and hunger and thirst, which he never experienced uh, in, uh, in eternity? It takes great courage. All of those unexpected or un previously experienced <clears throat> things. I think there's a great deal of uh, courage in him, uh, the willingness to share our humanity, the willingness to be a baby, I mean, you're the cosmic lord of the universe, and you're willing to be a baby, which makes you helpless and completely dependent. I mean, it, once, once you're a baby, once you were, whilst you and I were uh, a baby, we had no consciousness of the fact that we were a baby, but he chose to be a baby. He chose that vulnerability and that dependence, which is quite something. He chose to live in occupied territory. I mean, when he came to earth, all the forces of evil were ranged against him personally in a focused, concentrated, period of three years. I mean, imagine, some of us have had misfortune to have a difficult neighbour, someone <laughs> living next door. Um, and I can see some smiles, because I know some of you have some challenges with your neighbours, which I won't mention on a recording. But <laughs> it, it's one of those things that happens, in, in the flat upstairs, the flat downstairs, to your right, to your left. When you have one difficult neighbour, doesn't it? It really is a challenge to love that person and, and not feel tense about it. And, but imagine, not that you had one difficult neighbour, but you had difficult neighbours on both sides, and behind, and in front, and upstairs and downstairs, if you're in a flat. Imagine your whole street hated you. Imagine every time you went to your front door, people were yelling at you, swearing at you, they were blocking your drive, they were turning your bins over, they were I mean, campaigning against you, putting nasty stuff through your letterbox. I mean, imagine the whole neighbourhood. Now imagine the whole, the whole estate where you live, okay, right? That whole estate in Leavesden. And then imagine the whole town of Watford, 
Everywhere you go, every single person knows who you are and is, and is giving you a hard time. Then imagine the country, then imagine the world, but then imagine the demonic world. I mean, this is what Jesus had to endure. Every, I mean, I guess he had a few friends, okay, but it, basically the whole of the forces of evil were ranged against him purposefully, personally, for three years. I think it takes significant bravery to step into that when he didn't have to. That wasn't the case in heaven. Great bravery. We could go on, there are lots of things, um, but culminating in his, his crucifixion. Now, um, now let's look at this passage together in Luke chapter 4. And as one example, this is just one example of the kind of bravery that Jesus showed us. And let's see what we can learn from this, and then we'll finish off. In Luke chapter 4, we'll pick it up in verse 9. In, not verse 9, verse 14. <coughs> verse 14. He returned to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He, sat up, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We'll stop there for a moment. So as most of you know, Penny and I were in Israel recently, and one of the trips we made was to Nazareth. Nazareth was a very small town in Jesus' day. It's been built up now. There are very few remains from the period of Jesus, but a Christian sort of charity organization bought a plot of land in the center of Nazareth, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and have built a kind of replica area of scenes from first century village life. And so you'll have a, a, spin, a woman there who's spinning using wool, there's a, a shepherd there with a few sheep, there's a wine press, there's an olive press with a donkey and a, and a, and a chap uh, making the donkey go around and pressing the olives, and then it goes in a traditional way into the refining process. A number of things like that, a first century tomb, um, and stuff like that. And then they built a replica of a first century synagogue. And that's what the photographs are that I've sent around. And I was going to show you a bit of video as walking inside it and around it. I'll post it online somewhere. It was very moving to walk into this place. It's, it's built as the first century synagogue would have been in the time of Jesus. It's a tall, airy building, quite small. Uh, but Nazareth wasn't very big, but you could get 350 people in there. And on the Sabbath, everybody would go. So you'd have 350 people crammed in to this synagogue. And you have seating on three sides with a door opening on one. You'd have seating on the floor. And you have a, a place where the scroll is placed and read from. And that's on the pictures I've sent you. And as you're sitting in there, you really are sitting like this. We, we had a bit more space. There were 115 of us in our party. But if you had 350 people in there, you'd be squeezed in several rows. Um, jostling a little bit and as Jesus got up to read it wouldn't be like me standing here with all of you there it would have been sort of very much amongst everybody sort of standing here with a scroll um, and reading and holding this scroll and everybody pressed up against Jesus around him back and back and his sides and people standing in front of the eyes looking right at him very closely this is the 
it's not like some kind of open thing. It would be very claustrophobic and very, uh, you'd be very close to everybody. And so this, you've got to imagine that atmosphere here as he's reading the scroll. And he's saying, uh, he's reading from uh, Isaiah and saying that today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They have been waiting for a Messiah king for centuries. And he's saying, I am the one predicted in Isaiah. I am the Messiah king. I am the one you have been waiting for. And the anticipation in a synagogue like that, where you're all rammed in. You know when you're in a, a cinema that's full, and, or, or a comedy gig and it's full. You get that sense of the crowd being together. And, and the, 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 it will be almost palpable, the sense of tension and excitement in that place. As he says, today, I don't know, but he would have been, don't think he'd have said it in a triumphalist way. But he was just that most statement of today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You right now in this synagogue are seeing the most significant <coughs> event in human history since creation. That, that's what it is. And I reckon they go silent. I think they do for a moment. Like, could it be? Could it be? And then they say in verse 22, let's carry on. It says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious word that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? Wow, it's amazing. Gracious words, it's good news for the poor. How exciting. Then, what does Jesus do with that atmosphere? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do it here in your hometown, what we have heard you did in Capernaum, he done miracles elsewhere. Truly, I tell you, he continued, <coughs> no prophet is accepted in his hometown, with all of his hometown people surrounding him. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And why is that significant? Not in Israel. Not in Israel. In other words, a... Foreigner, a Gentile, not a Jew. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Second, Second Kings first, uh, chapter 5, only Naaman the Syrian. Of all things, we're talking about people from Sidon and Syrian, and, and a Syrian from Syria, uh, not, not an Israelite. I mean, look at what God was doing. Anyway, what's their reaction? All the people in the synagogue were furious. You ever had a furious crowd around you? I mean, I've been confronted by one or two furious people, but to have 350 people who know you, they know you, you are part of their, the family is known, the friends are known, you went to school with some of them, you, whatever school they had in first century Nazareth. You went to school, you've been in their synagogue for donkey's years. But don't forget, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. He did have some years in Egypt. But basically, this was his hometown. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew his family. And they are all, 350 of them, crammed in, furious with him. Furious. They, they were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town. Took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. 
and they showed us a couple of places where that cliff might have been. There are a couple of cliff-like areas where it could have been, and it's very steep, and if you threw someone down there, <laughs> it would hurt. They'd throw you down there with the idea of throwing you to the bottom of the cliff and then throwing stones down on top of you, stone of death. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. That's one of those things I'd love to have seen, you know, if you, if I, I just wish I'd been there. To see, how did you do that? How did you just walk through? We, we don't know. But let me, uh, let me suggest to you that this is a great example of the bravery of Jesus. A bravery that he was more concerned about getting the message across and helping people understand the heart of God than he was worried about the reaction. Even though he must have known it would, would provoke such fury. You know, I don't like provoking fury in, in people. I don't like provoking anger in people. I don't even like it when people are even slightly upset. I want everybody to like me, and I want everybody around me to be happy, and let's all get on. The Christian life is, you can't control it that way. Not if you're going to be a person of love and conviction. It doesn't work. If it didn't work for Jesus, it's just not going to work for us. Both within our fellowship here, loving each other as Christ wants us to love each other with love, grace, and truth, but also the impact we have on the world. We need bravery. We cannot be liked all the time in this church. We can't be liked all the time in the wider world. We can't be liked all the time even in our own family. It's not the goal. It's to honour God. It's to honour the calling that he's given us. Look at the bravery of Jesus here and what it cost him. He almost lost his life. Of course, eventually, he did lose his life for the very same reason. Are we willing to get that kind of bravery? Are we willing to aim or desire to pray for that kind of bravery? I struggle to desire this kind of bravery because I can see what it costs. And something that occurred to me Going to that synagogue, and for me there were many things, and I'll share more another time, other things that were inspiring from being in Israel. But one of the key things for me personally was that spot, sitting in that synagogue, imagining this happening. Uh, our guide read that passage and talked about it. I thought, gosh, I, I think I need to pray to be more willing to be braver. I'm not, I'm not sure I want to be that brave, but I, I think it's right that I pray for that bravery. And maybe some of us need to pray for, to be braver in our faith and the way that we live. So I've got a couple of suggestions, and then we'll finish off here. Um, on the handout, you'll see some um, bits and pieces that I've uh, written down with some extra scriptures. I'll suggest that the bravery we need is available to us through four main sources, four main channels. Number one. Firstly, a confidence in God's approval. A confidence that we have that God approves of us, that God welcomes us, that God loves us. In other words, that loves you, loves me. That's a personal thing. He's accepted us. He loves us. There's no doubt in his mind, no doubt in his heart. You are loved. And, and we're accepting that. God's approval is critical to this. I think Jesus was able to be this brave because he was confident of God's acceptance of him and love for him. Earlier on in chapter 3, which is the reference on your handout, we see that this, he's, he's been confident of this because of what, you, what God does at his baptism. The Holy Spirit descends, a voice comes from heaven, you are my son, 
whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Those of us who have been baptized into Christ have had this approval and acceptance already given to us. We have been given this acceptance that we are God's son or daughter, we are loved, and he is well pleased. He's well pleased because of who we now are. Not because of our perfection, because that's never going to happen, but because we have accepted Jesus as our king, and we follow him. And that's enough for God. So first of all, we need to be convinced of our acceptance. The second thing is being refined. The courage and bravery comes through being refined, God's refinement. God refined Jesus before this point. Earlier on in chapter 4, he was led into the uh, wilderness. For 40 days he was tempted by the, desert, uh, by the devil in the desert, and he ate nothing. And we won't go through the whole passage now, but that's what happens earlier. He gets that bravery, I think in part because he's had that devoted, dedicated time of refining by God. He's let God refine him. If I'm going to be a braver person, some other stuff's got to go. Some fear has got to go, some anxiety has got to go, some dependence on human effort has got to go. It's got to be more about God, and I've got to let him refine me. The third thing that gives us the courage, and we see in Jesus, is that he has courage because he has confidence in God's word. Again, earlier in chapter 4, we see him responding to the devil. How does he respond? He says, it is written, it is written, it is said. He comes back in a fighting temptation by quoting God's word. It is so important that we have God's word in our mind and our heart. That is what gives us the bravery we need. One of the things about being in Israel was to be reminded of how lucky we are to know enough about the Bible to, to be able to use it. Um, and that's another story for another time. But we need to absorb the Bible if we're going to have the courage to face the challenges that come our way. The Bible's word, the Bible, God's word, gives us the bravery that we need. And fourthly, another reason why Jesus had this bravery is because he was clear on and active in the mission that God had given. He was clear on and active in the mission that God had given him. At the end of chapter 4, after all of this kerfuffle, um, he goes on to uh, other places, and it says there in verse 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And I believe that part of the bravery that Jesus had was knowing that this was going somewhere. He had a mission, he had a calling. And something about knowing that we have a calling, that we matter to the advancement of God's kingdom that gives us bravery, or helps us perhaps to desire the bravery. And one of the drivers for me in wanting to be braver is that I believe that God has a calling for me to make a difference for God's kingdom in this world. And I think he does for all of us, personally, and for us as a church. We're going to need more bravery. As we go into 2019, maybe this is something to pray about between now and the end of this year. To ask God, first of all, for the willingness to be braver, and then secondly, for the bravery we need for the challenges next year to help us to be what we can be for the lost and the needy around us, whether in Borderwood or in <coughs> Watford or wherever we are. Four principles and four practical things that, will, that could help us. So I would like to encourage us to do this as a church, as people sitting here, is take this hand out of the way. Think about these four areas. Think about perhaps the one that God is laying on your heart as the area to develop most. Perhaps it's not all four. Perhaps it's one of those. The sense of God's approval, 
Perhaps it's the sense of, of allowing God to refine you. Perhaps it's God's word, getting more devoted to God's word. Perhaps it's the sense of mission and being active in the mission. Maybe focusing on one of those will help you to develop the bravery that you need for the challenges in your life, which might be different from the challenges in mine. Brave people stand out. Brave people make a difference. Brave churches stand out. And brave churches make a difference. Let's imitate the bravest person that ever lived. Let's, let's decide that we are going to absorb all the bravery we can from his example and his inspiration and the Holy Spirit that he's given us so that we can be the bravest people that we know. Amen. Amen.